So now we, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the start of Lent, God, this holy season. And I just pray that you would help us to enter into that as a body, as a community, together, joyfully, Lord, to know that we are, we're kind of counting down the days until we celebrate your resurrection, Lord, the greatest event of all human history. And so we're just thankful that we get to join together and remember um, and, to, and to, to praise you, Lord, during this, this holy season. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you read, did anybody read the email I sent out on Tuesday? It was the from the pastor's desk email that came out late Tuesday night. Um, not too many of you read it. Oh, good. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so glad I sent those out. Um, if it comes and it says from the pastor's desk, it says Beth from Pastor Beth. It's, uh, it's for me. Um, anyway, I sent out an email on Tuesday for those of you that weren't there or didn't get it um, with some reminders about Ash Wednesday, about the Lent season, about getting a Lent booklet and all of that. But I also shared a kind of personal detail about what God is asking from me for this Lent to give up. Does anybody remember that? See, if you would read these things, you would actually like know. Video games, right? My little, my, my iPad video games that I play at night. Um, I shared that with y'all. I have to tell you, I was very torn about whether or not to put that in there or not. I mean, we're close, but are we that close? Like, that's the question, right? I mean, uh, and, and I, I went back and forth about it, and I also thought, man, that makes me look really silly. I mean, my, my big, like, Lenten offering is like a video game. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's just embarrassing. Um, and so I kind of was going to take it out. Uh, in fact, I did take it out. I had written it, and then I took it out, and I was getting ready to hit send, and the Holy Spirit said, stop, put it back in. <laughs> like, oh, for crying out loud. And, um, and so I, I put it back in, and then I asked Paul, I said, is it too silly to share? And this is, this is what my husband said back to me. He said, it's no sillier than all the other stuff you share. the love I get, you know, this right now. He's in the nursery, by the way, so I'm not telling tales on him. He knows, he knows I was about to say that. Um, yeah, so anyway, I put it in and I sent hit send. Um, but I think there's a reason God had me share that little detail with y'all. And I think it was because, um, you know, I think we get this impression in Lent that it's a big hairy spiritual thing, right? I mean, you know, it's like fasting. Like we think of monks in the desert fasting for days. We think of people who wake up at 5 a.m. and are praying for an hour before they get their first cup of coffee. Like we have this idea that's for the super spiritual. And I just want us to realize that, you know, it's, it's for people like you and me. And um, more power to you if you're getting up at 5. I know some of you do, and it's amazing. Um, but I, I'm just trying to honor God with the little things in my life, right? And that's hard enough. You know, God's just saying to me, Beth, you got to get more sleep. Like, get to bed. Stop playing the game, you know, and go to bed. Um, it's just small things like that, that that he's saying, will you give this to me for this season? Will you let me be a little more central than I've been in even this little thing? And I, I feel like that's the spirit of Lent, right? That's the spirit of walking with Jesus. It's, it's, it is sometimes about the big things, but often, more often, I think, it's about are we going to follow him in all these little ways? in our life. Um, and so I feel like that's what God is doing in me. Um, and I hope that's what he's going to do for all of us. That this is not just for the monks in the desert, but it's for each one of us to give ourselves fully to the Lord, offer ourselves fully to him. So the central purpose of Lent is to go deeper in our relationship with God. That's what it's about. 
Okay? It's not about, you know, giving up things or what you're doing or whatever. It's, it's about going deeper in our relationship with God. But I think we learn something here from the practice of Lent. We're borrowing heavily from our Catholic brothers and sisters and our more liturgical Protestant brothers and sisters like Episcopalians and Lutherans. They, they celebrate Lent, and they talk about the three pillars of Lent. You have them here uh, on our, our wonderful graphic here made by Jorge. I have to point him out. He, he did this great graphic on um, building this foundation. That we have three pillars of Lent um, that we follow, and they, in a sense, are ways for us to streamline our lives. It's a way for us to lay some things down so we can turn our fo focus more on the Lord. So we're laying down so that we can turn our focus more to him. Uh, it's a way of laying down distractions. And now I know some of you might say, and this is kind of the typical reaction, uh, the Protestant reaction to Lent or evangelical reaction, you know, why, why shouldn't we be doing that all the time? Why just at Lent? And of course, yes, we should be doing that all the time. But we're human beings. And I said this at the Ash Wednesday service, we're human and we need reminders. If we didn't have reminders, we'd never celebrate one another's birthdays, right? We'd never remember if we didn't know there was a date on the calendar. And in the same way, this, this is a season where we're called to remember, to remember, to kind of reset our lives, to say, let's, let, you know, we're, we're building up to the, the most holy day of the year, the most ex exciting event of the year. And so how can I make my heart fully devoted to Jesus? How can I really fully devote my life to him? And so that's really what this is about, these, um, these three pillars. They're taken from Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 1 to 18. He talks about giving to the needy, how to pray, and how to fast. And so we're going to see, as Jesus presents these to us, they are all very personal and private. He keeps saying in the passage, you know, we'll get to the passage in a minute, but he keeps saying um, not to announce it. Don't show off that you're doing them. Um, these are going to be private activities between you and Jesus. And it says, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And so this is the real work of our faith. It's drawing close to God. This, the, you know, we can come to church and we can do things as a community and that's wonderful. But your faith in Christ, your trust in him, your walk with Christ is about you and Jesus. It comes down to that. You can participate in all of this and have nothing going on between you and Jesus, and I pray that's not the case. But if you've got it going on with you and Jesus, then the rest of it falls into place, right? How rich our time together becomes when we're with Jesus. And so these are personal and private. That's, that's how we come to know Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about these, and let's keep in mind that it will do us absolutely no good if you listen to it and you go, amen, and that's a good word, sister, love that, and then go home and we don't do anything different. <laughs> these are disciplines. The whole idea of a discipline is it's something we actually take on for ourselves. So God will speak to you about what you're meant to take on, what you're meant to lay down, what you're meant to do differently during the season of Lent. But our Father in heaven will lead you, and as you do it in secret with him, you will grow in your love and your devotion to him. And we will be prepared together for a wonderful, wonderful time of celebration at Easter. So I'm going to start out with the first one on our picture. Well, that's actually the middle one in the picture. I'm doing them a little out of order. I'm going to start out talking about everyone's favorite topic, fasting. <laughs> Yay! Don't you love talking about fasting? You're like, shoot, why did I come today? We, we planned this on the annual meeting day so that you had to kind of be here. Um, here's the funny thing about this, this, this sermon, this message. 
So once in a while I take, um, you know, I go to a, a coffee shop or something in order to, and then write, you know, there, I bring my computer and I do some work there because it's just a different change of pace or whatever. And so this past week I had to drop the dog off at the vet. It was early and so I was like, well, I didn't get a chance to eat, so I'll just go get something to eat while I'm working on this message. So I'm set up and I got my computer out and everything and I decided to go to Scrambled Diner because why not, right? If I can go anywhere, let's for breakfast, let's go to Scrambled. So I'm going to Scrambled and I'm, and I'm typing away and you know, they deliver me this like big heaping plate of food with like eggs and, and sausage and hash fries and uh, hash browns and then, you know, s toast and orange juice and coffee. And I'm writing all these like really profound things about fasting. <laughs> <laughs> and something in my brain started to go, something's not connecting here. Um, so I am definitely not the poster child for fasting, okay? This is a hard topic for me. Um, you know, whether we're talking about food fasting or fasting anything else, I really don't like denial <laughs> of myself. I really don't. I have to tell you, we ordered something from Amazon just a few weeks ago at 10 p.m. at night, okay? I got on Amazon, ordered this thing, hit send. And when I woke up the next morning, it was sitting on my front porch. It's like less than 12 hours later. I was like, I love that. Like, I just love instant gratification. I love it when things happen like that. I, so so I, this is the opposite of fasting, right? Fasting is denial. It's, it's leaving something aside, even a good thing, a, an okay thing, but putting it aside for a time. Like, this is not human nature. It's certainly not my nature. I don't know about you. Um, but it is, it is a difficult thing to do. And so we're going to talk about this idea um, of, of how to do this as a regular person who likes donuts and coffee just like the next person. Um, but I also think that we also have to unpack a little bit of what fasting has meant in the church because I do think we've had some faulty teaching on it. I think there's been a sense in which the real spiritual people do these kind of long fasts. It's a bit, it makes us a little more spiritual than the next person. I think it can be a big stumbling block for people who had food issues and body issues, and I'm going to talk about that as well. And so I want to talk about this from a biblical standpoint and a practical standpoint. What does this look like for us? Um, let's go to Matthew 6, and we're going to read the passage on fasting, verses 16 to 18. And it says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show every others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put, on all your, put, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I would just stop us at the very first three words. When you fast, Jesus assumes we're going to be fasting. And fasting was an assumption in the ancient world. It wasn't just about Judaism or Christianity. It was something that was very common in those days. The Greeks fasted, Egyptians fasted. Uh, if you go back to um, Pythagoras uh, back in 500 BC, he used to fast all the time because he felt it made his brain sharper um, and he could think better. He was a mathematician, right? He had his, had his brain really sharp. Uh, you also have Plato, Hippocrates. They talked about fasting as a health thing, as a way of even curing diseases, as a way of making your mind sharper. So, so um, fasting was, was part of that culture. Pharisees fasted twice a week. It was assumed that people would be fasting. And even so, in today, in, our, in most religions, have some practice of fasting, right? Whether you're Jewish, Muslim, um, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, you know, there's a fasting component to that. Muslims fast during the month of Ramadan, right? They fast during the day, and they only, they fast at the daylight hours, basically, and only eat at night. Jewish people fast on Yom Kippur, and then they famously break fast with bagels and lox uh, the next morning. 
Um, Christians, of course, fast at Lent, right? We give up chocolate and sweets and all kinds of different things, meat um, during Lent. Buddhists fast on certain days. They even do a kind of intermittent fasting. So it's just been part of these religious traditions for a long time, but it's not part of modern American culture, is it? It's not part of what we do here uh, in America much. It's a, it's a little bit making a resurgence in the health area. How many of you are trying intermittent fasting? I know so many people are trying intermittent fasting, right? So we eat in a smaller window of time um, to help with weight loss and weight and, all sorts of, and, and also health and so on. So there's certainly some health benefits associated with fasting or reducing the food you eat or the types of food you eat, certainly. But spiritual fasting, fasting for a spiritual purpose, is not really part of our culture today, is it, in the 21st century American culture? This is kind of something that's a little bit odd. And so, yet the Bible is assuming a practice of fasting, and uh, what do we do with that? Does my fasting a video game make any sense in that context? Um, you know, what, what does that mean? And Here's what I want to say about that. So the Bible is written particularly in a particular culture for a particular people in a particular time. And most, for the most part, there's a few exceptions, but when the Bible talks about fasting, it is talking about food fasting. Um, sometimes it even went without food and water, right? It was, a very, it was very much a part of that culture today. I believe that we need to be careful today with emphasizing food fasting in the church. I really think um, this comes down to our values and distinctives as a church, that we care about the whole person. And so not just your spiritual life, but also your physical life, your mental life, and your spiritual life, uh, and your spiritual life. And so I'm going to say a few things about fasting that maybe seem obvious, but I just, I feel like I've never heard anyone say them in church, and I feel like they should be said in church, you understand? <laughs> so th so let me just tell you a few things that may go without saying. The first is that fasting both food and water is a very bad idea <laughs> for any length of time, okay? We need water. Even a day or two without water can be dangerous, right? They did it in the Bible. Um, they possibly didn't know. There are many things in the Bible that they did that God doesn't make a judgment about. doesn't say you need to do this. It's just the way they did it. So they had multiple wives. They had lots of things we don't do today. So just the fact that it's there doesn't mean we have to do it exactly the way they did it. So I just would say be very careful about that. We don't have to fast. Don't ever let anyone tell you it's spiritual to fast both food and water. That's not the idea behind fasting, okay? That's not the method. That's not what the point of fasting is. Let's be smart about that. The other thing I want to say, even more importantly, is that if you, food fasting can be very dangerous and can set a person back emotionally and physically if they struggle with any kind of food disorder or body disorder. So if you're struggling with anorexia or bulimia or a body dysmorphia or any of these disorders of, of eating and the body, um, this, this can be a problem. And in a church this size, I know there's a few of you out there, at least a few. And I just want you to know that I see you and that I want to make sure you know there's no pressure and there's no guilt and there's no um, expectation that you're going to do a food fast because we're talking about fasting. All right? Um, there's nothing in what I'm saying that's calling us to do something that would put us at risk of re-triggering or, or increasing a disorder that we may be struggling with. And so I would just say to you that if you have struggled with this and you've found a way of being healthy, even if you have just a very complicated and emotional relationship with food and you finally found a way to be healthy and strong in that, then don't mess that up with a spiritual food fast, okay? There are many other ways to fast, okay? The idea behind fasting is to lay down distractions and focus our heart on God. And so I just want to say, we, we're not pre I don't want to put any pressure on anyone here to insist that they do a food fast. And I would also say that if you are struggling in this area with food, with anorexia, bulimia, any of these body disorders, please get help. 
we don't have to sit in that forever. You don't have to live in that place forever. Let us, let us help you find the help you need for that. I also want to say that it's also true that it can be dangerous to do a food fast if you're on certain kinds of medications or you have certain kinds of diseases. So again, um, we need to be very careful. If you're going to even do a one-day fast, talk to your doctor. Make sure that this is safe for you to do. Okay? The point of the fast is to draw closer to God, not to damage ourselves in some way. Does that make sense, church? Um, and, you know, the other thing I, I've known, a few people who have done 40-day fasts because it's in the Bible. Jesus did a 40-day fast. Moses did a So I know a few people who have taken that on. Um, that is very extreme. <laughs> uh, if you're going to do that, you better be under the doctor's care that's helping you through that. And you might ask yourself, why do I feel the need to do that? It was very extreme circumstances for Jesus to do a 40-day fast, for Moses to do a 40-day fast. Um, some people do it for health, and but again, under a doctor's care, I just can't emphasize that enough. The last thing I'll say about this is that some churches do, you know, church-wide Daniel fasts or food challenges. Uh, some people find that really exciting and helpful to, like, all, we're all going to do this together. Um, and, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with a Daniel fast. Daniel ate really healthy food. Like, I'm sure it would be healthy for, uh, for most people to do that. But I want to be careful not to have a one-size-fits-all mentality here when it comes to fasting. Um, we're not going to do a, a church-wide fast of any kind, okay? If God is calling you to that, that's awesome. But uh, again, um, we're not, we don't want people to feel like I'm not going to do that, so I'm not on the same spiritual plane as all these people doing it. Um, it can, again, set us back if we have issues with food to even do something like a Daniel fast or another kind of restricted fast. So there's no one-size-fits-all. I hope I'm getting the point across. There's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to fasting, okay? The point of a fast is to lay down distractions so that we are drawn closer to God. That's the point. That's the point. And there's plenty of non-food fasts or other kinds of habits that we can lay down in order to draw close to God. Is that making sense to anybody here? <laughs> I, I, I had to just say all that because I've never heard it said from a pulpit, and I just thought, I think it needs to be said. So um, so let's talk about it. What, what are we talking about then? If it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all, what are we talking about here? Food or non-food practices as a fast is it's a personal spiritual discipline. It's something between you and the Lord. Okay, you don't have to tell anybody about it. I did tell you about my fast, but I felt there was the greater good of telling you my crazy story. Um, and so I'm sure God understood that. Well, he made me do it anyway, so um, I'm going to blame him on that one. But um, the Bible assumes this practice of denying ourselves, of sometimes setting down things that may even be healthy and fine for us, but laying down things so that we take away distractions and seek God more fully. The focus, you know, can be food. Certainly, there's many of us who will say, yeah, there's certain foods i got to lay down. There's a lot of distraction of food in our culture. There's supersized fries and 32-ounce Cokes and, and donuts galore everywhere. And, you know, this is the South. There's fried food everywhere. So we could certainly, um, food, God may call you to some kind of food fast um, for this season. But there's many other distractions in our lives as well, right? I think of Netflix and Hulu, for example. <laughs> as the first two, to hit somewhere real close to home. Um, that, that, just, that just hurts, right? I mean, you know. Um, video games, smoking weed, shopping, gambling, other addictions. I mean, all these things, right? I mean, I, I'm speaking to y'all. You know what I'm talking about here. Um, we all have these things in our life that can become a distraction. How do you know if it's a distraction to your life with God? I'll give you a very good test. How much time are you spending on this distraction versus time with God? 
If I watch four hours of TV every night, but I have a really hard time getting a 15-minute quiet time in, maybe there's a distraction there. Maybe. I'm not going to say for sure, but perhaps there's a distraction there. If I think continuously about what I'm going to eat, I'm always planning the next meal, I'm always buying the food, I'm always thinking about the food, and yet my Bible is dusty because I haven't been eating any spiritual food from it, perhaps there's a distraction. Okay? Again, it's not a legalism here. It's just saying, let's just see the time that I'm putting into one or the other. If I can spend hour after hour on the web surfing through, um, you know, Amazon, looking at YouTube videos or TikTok videos, and I can spend all that time, and yet I just can't seem to make it to church on Sunday, or I just can't seem to serve or help in any way because I'm so busy, you know, again, do we have to ask ourselves, is there a distraction in my life? Not that any of these things are bad. I love, I love looking at YouTube videos, and you can just go to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one, and man, like two hours are gone before you know it. It's fun. But how about just anything in our life when I can't get through a day without doing X? Whatever X is, if I don't get X, I'm in a bad mood. If I don't do X, that's a problem. And X could be watching TV. It could be eating a certain food. It could be doing drugs. It could be watching porn. It could be whatever that we have to do. And if we don't get to it, then we're mad about it. We're grumpy at everybody. Again, we might need to ask ourselves, is there a distraction here that's keeping me from seeking God more fully? And now you're all hating me right now. <laughs> I can just feel it. Um, I'm hating myself. Because there's not one of us here who doesn't have these little comfort activities, these little distractions in our life, right? I mean, we all do it. I do it. That's, that's you know, I've already told you one. There's, there's, that's not the only one, right? So we all have these things we do that are comforts to us, um, that can be compulsions that we fall into. And there's, many of them are not even bad in and of themselves. But when we let them become a fixation, a compulsion, even too much of a good thing is not a good thing, right? So let me motivate you a little bit. Why should we lay down a distraction? What's it going to do for me? Why, why should I, what does the Bible say about the value of this kind of laying down a distraction? What's that going to, how is that going to help me draw closer to God? And I'm going to just tell you a few things that the Bible brings out. We'll go through a few scriptures um, on what fasting can bring into your lives, okay? The first thing it can bring into your life is repentance. It's all over scripture. Fasting allows us to stop long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and, and point out some of our sins. Now you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very much fun, <laughs> and I understand. But I don't know about you, I don't want to sit around with unconfessed sin. That's just a bummer. Um, when we allow unconfessed sin, things that we're not, you know, facing, we know we're doing, we shouldn't be doing, but we don't want to talk to God about it, you know, because he might say something. If we have that, it's like the food that you push to the back of your refrigerator, and, you know, you can kind of forget about it for a little while, and, you know, you don't see it, and if you think it's fine, but then the whole fridge starts to stink. You know what I'm saying? Anybody had that experience? Um, that's what unconfessed sin is like in our life. I would so much rather the Holy Spirit shine a little light on something, and I can confess it to him, even if I know darn well I'm probably going to do it again, <laughs> right? I'm not cured of it necessarily, but at least we're talking about it, right? It's out in the open, and maybe by getting it out in the open, I'll start to not do it so much anymore. So, so repentance is what comes out of this. It's all over scripture. I'll just read you from Nehemiah 8, uh, 18. This is um, uh, when they found the book of the law. We're reading it to the people of Israel. This is after the exile. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. 
And they celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. See, the Israelites stood alone, saying, we're going to confess our sins. Not, we're not going to involve all the foreigners in what we've done. We're going to confess our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Powerful moment. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping of the Lord their God. So so interesting, it was a celebration of reading the law, but also in fasting, then they were able to confess their own sins to the Lord and repent not only for their own sins, but the sins of their ancestors that their people had done. And when they, they confessed it, they were set free. We're set free when we confess our sins. So that's one of the beautiful things about fasting, that we can be aware, made aware of where we need to confess our sins to God and be freed. So valuable. Let's go to another one. Another thing that fasting brings to us is guidance. Often when seeking God's will in a decision, a fast will help clarify the mind. So if you have a big looming decision before you, it could be something that might help you in that. The early church in Acts did this all the time. Uh, in Acts 13, 1 to 3, it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. God spoke to them about the next steps to build the church through a time of worship and fasting. Another stunning example of this is Moses. Okay, when Moses is in Exodus, it, he, it says that he fasted from food and water for 40 days. Okay, this is a very exceptional situation that he was called to. And obviously God kept him alive for 40 days, because if you went without water for 40 days, you probably wouldn't be alive to tell the tale. Um, but God kept him supernaturally alive during that time. And guess what he got during that fast? The Ten Commandments. <laughs> Kind of a major revelation from God, probably the greatest revelation, uh, apart from Jesus, uh, that was ever given to a person, to a human. And he received that from this time. See, this is the lesson that we learn when we deny ourselves some of the excesses and distractions in life. And whenever I'm talking about fasting, I'm talking about fasting food or non-food items. Whatever it is that God's calling us to lay down, the distractions of our life, we can then become more aware of the voice of God. I'm praying that just by laying down my dumb little video game at night, that while I'm lying in bed, instead of playing the game, I'm just going to talk to Jesus a little bit more and hear from him. Amen. That would be amazing. <laughs> and then I'll probably fall asleep, which would be really nice too. Another thing that God brings through a fast of food or non-food distractions is protection and provision. Uh, sometimes there's circumstances that we need to especially place before the Lord. And it's appropriate to fast. In the book of Esther, before Esther was about to risk her life and go before the king, this is what she said. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are on Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Esther was going into this situation of great danger, 
um, but, but fasting alongside her people showed to herself and to God that she was putting her life completely in his hands. It was kind of a, a, a release of herself into his hands and for his protection and his provision. Whatever And whatever happens, happens. Not necessarily she knew she was going to live. She might perish, but she might, her life was completely in his hands. It's a way of releasing ourselves to God through the fast. Another one I love is the idea that by fasting, it can increase our devotion. And I love the story um, of, of Anna, the prophet. See, when we don't have our compulsive practices and our comfort practices, we're kind of forced to turn to the Lord. <laughs> we come home from work, and we're tired, and we're angry, and, we're, and we, what we really want is a glass of wine. But we say, oh, gosh, I gave up that glass of wine tonight. So what do we do? Then maybe we pray. Maybe we turn to God in a new way, and he starts to meet us there, right? And so uh, here we have Anna, the prophet, in Luke 2. Uh, there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. How could she possibly stay in the temple for all those years? But she fasted and prayed. She was devoting herself to the Lord. And in that denial of herself, she was able to, to focus on him. And he was her satisfaction. He was her joy. And he rewarded her with being able to see the Christ. So he was her life. And he's satisfied. We are in, our devotion to Christ can increase when we take away, when we lay down some of the distractions that take us away from him. Finally, the last one is that having a fat, doing a fast of food or non-food can build in us compassion. And Isaiah 58 gives us a very refreshing take on fasting. Um, as I mentioned before, fasting was very common in ancient culture. People did it all the time. And so as a result, it could also become one of those things that they did in order to show how spiritual they were, right? It became a, a rote practice that um, it was kind of a badge of honor, and, and people will see it, and they'll know I'm godly. And, you know, and, then, and what it did was it was almost became its own comfort thing because if I do this, then I don't have to do the really hard things <laughs> of loving people and helping people, right? So I just fast, and I'm really spiritual, and I've got, I've got all my boxes ticked off. Right? And so Isaiah calls that out in a big way in Isaiah 58. It's a long passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just read bits of it. You can go back and read it on your own. But it says in Isaiah 58, starting in verse 3, Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and not you have not noticed? See, they were fasting, but they weren't getting anything out of it at all. They weren't drawing close to God. And he says this, On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? See, fasting, for fasting's sake, is of no value whatsoever. If by fasting you're not drawing closer to God and building more of his compassionate heart within you for others, then there's no point in fasting. The point of the fasting is to become more like him. And so Isaiah brilliantly calls it out and says, this is, if you're going to fast then, if you're, I don't want your empty fast. I want a fast that means that you have loved others and you've set the oppressed free and you've fed the hungry and you've clothed those who are in need. So doing good can be part of our fast. 
We can not only lay down something, but we can take up. We can take up a practice of, of doing justice and doing good, showing compassion. That could be our fast. What all of this shows is that when we clear out the distractions, when we stop with the compulsive practices that keep our spirits numbed and our minds diverted, then we can finally repent and be reconciled to God. We can hear clearly from God. We can receive his provision and protection. We can increase in our devotion to him and grow in our compassion for others. This is the wonderful benefit of a fast. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like something that would, would just enliven your life, would give you a new focus, a new love for him? And whether the fast is of food or video games or TV or drugs or anything else, may we do it so that we draw closer to him. May it be between us and Jesus, our personal time with him. So I ask you today, what kind of fast is God calling you to? I'm not going to ask you to tell me or anyone else. Um, but I ask you to ask the Lord, what are the distractions in your life, the things that maybe are a little bit mind-numbing for you that you do to sort of blot out life or emotions or feelings, things we do to stop ourselves from thinking and just being the child of God that you are? What's the distraction? We miss out, church, if we don't take advantage of this option this opportunity to dethrone the things that we turn to for satisfaction instead of turning to God. Dethrone them. Certain things have become on the throne of your life, and they're not Jesus. There's no judgment there. I've been there. It's so easy. But can we take it off the throne? Can we lay it down before Jesus? Can we say, even for a season, this is not a bad thing that I do, but for this season, can I take it down a notch? It's starting to creep up just a little too high. Oh, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. I want us to take a moment of silence as the team comes up and just to listen to the Lord. He's going to speak to you. And there may be nothing at all. God may say, you know what? We're on a good track right now. Just, just stay with it. Again, there's no one-size-fits-all here. But I do think it's worth asking, where am I distracted from seeking God fully? Yeah, we're just going to take this moment, this silence to hear from you.
things here have been more than a distraction. They've been a bondage. Just 